0: In a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump, all your place looks like a dump. Live in a money pit. money pit. Pick up the telephone. Fix up your home sweet home. I call it 888 money
1: pit. The money pit is presented by the Angie app. Now here are Tom and Leslie.
2: Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. On a beautiful summer day. Hope you've been enjoying this awesome summer. Hope you're relaxing and having fun. And if you're taking on home improvement projects, you're avoiding working outside in the heat. If you can, it's also a good time to work inside on those projects to tee yourself up for the cooler weather ahead. But whether you're inside or out... Whether you're doing it yourself or you're hiring a pro, we are here to help you with your how-to questions. You're modeling dilemmas. If you have a question, reach out to us. The number here is 1-888-MONEYPIT, or you can post your questions at moneypit.com slash ask. Coming up on today's show, you know, every summer, Leslie, we hear about decks that collapse, right? And frequently it happens during a summer weekend you got a big party going lots of people over yeah but really there's only five reasons that these deck disasters happen so i thought it'd be a valuable time for us to share the most common causes of deck collapses along with how to do your own safety check on your deck
3: And also, have you ever tried to use paint leftover from an earlier project only to open it up and find that it's like chunky and gross? It's, you know, not in the best shape. Well, we're going to share some tips on ways that you can save paint after a project and when it's time to can those paint cans and how to do it.
2: And window screens let in fresh air to your home while keeping those pesky bugs out. We're going to tell you more about new options and screenings that do that and a lot more.
3: But first, we want to hear what you are working on, from bathrooms to basements and demolition to decor. We're here to share expert advice to help you tackle your to-dos with confidence.
2: So reach out to us right now. The best way to do that is to go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button. If you do that, your question will be sent directly to us for the quickest possible response. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first?
3: Bill in Missouri has a new driveway and needs some help with finishing it. What can we do for you?
2: I had a new driveway, concrete driveway
1: uh, put in. Yep. And I'm wondering if I need to put some kind of a sealer on that or just leave it like it is. The finish they put on it looks like they used a real stiff broom or something on it. And it's got the lines cut all the way down it almost all over
2: it. You know. Yeah, and that's designed to give you some traction in the winter so that you don't slip on it as easily. I don't think it's necessary for you to seal it. Uh, if you were to seal it, you would need to make sure you're using a vapor permeable sealer because what happens with some sealers is the moisture gets trapped underneath of them and then it can't evaporate out and it will cause the concrete to spall or crack. But, you, you know, concrete driveways are not, ne- it's not necessary to seal them on a regular basis. Okay. Um, just be cautious with, um, you know, the type of salt that you use to uh, de-ice. Don't use anything that's uh, that has rock salt in it.
1: Okay, I got a real quick question for you. I had a new deck built in the back, and they use pressure-treated yellow wood on it. And I had no idea that the yellow they were talking about was going to be the sap coming out of it. <laughs> okay, And I was wondering, is there some kind of a sealer
4: or something that I can do about that?
2: Well, when you have a new pressure-treated deck, we generally suggest that you wait about a year before doing this, and then you could apply a solid color stain to it. If you put a solid color stain to it, it will cover some of the sap as well. And, and frankly, by then, some of it will have you know already evaporated uh, you could you could sand those areas to try to get rid of any you know big deposits, but I would wait about a year and then I would treat it with a good solid color exterior uh, deck stain.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I sure appreciate your help.
2: New driveway, new deck—you know what to do next. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit.
3: Mary in Virginia, welcome to the Money Pit. What can we do for you today?
4: I'm looking to purchase a home that has a slab foundation, and when I went in, I kind of smelled a musty mildewy odor, and I'm just wondering, like, how would you know that water is coming up from the ground and saturating that slab, and how do you protect a home that has just it's built just on a slab. There's nothing under for water to drain under or anything.
2: Was this a home that was vacant or did it have a family living in it?
4: Uh, it? It has been vacant for a while.
2: That And that makes sense because when you don't run the HVAC system as frequently as you would if it was occupied, sometimes you're going to get high humidity inside the homes. But because it's a slab, does it make it any more or less susceptible to water infiltration? But of course, because it's above grade, you don't get floods. What you do get is the, the power of, of, the, of the, the concrete basically drawing water up from the ground. It's called capillarity. And then letting it evaporate into the air. The correction for that is the same thing you would do even if you did have a basement, which is to improve your drainage on the outside, extend the downspouts, the gutters, uh, improve the soil slope so that water is sort of shunted away from the foundation perimeter. But I think that once you move into the house and use the HVC system, you're going to find that uh, that moisture is is not nearly as detectable as it is right now. And if it does become more detectable, you could always add a dehumidifier. Okay, so
4: it's the that smell, I'm getting... Is not coming from the carpeting that's on top of the sla- laying
2: on top of the slab. Ooh, carpet on top of slab—that's a bad thing.
4: Well, I mean, I don't know what's under the carpet, and I'm assuming that there's some kind of sub subfloor there. But yeah, I mean, it's it's wall-to-wall carpeting, and I know underneath it is basically a
2: slab. Yeah, yeah we we don't like carpet on concrete for a whole bunch of reasons. So I would be recommending that you find another type of flooring for that. Because when you put carpet, which is you know largely an organic material, against those damp, moist concrete slabs, bad things happen. You get mold and mildew growth. You get allergens that form. You're going to get dust mites, things like that. So we really don't like carpet on concrete slabs. If you can choose a different type of flooring, if you're going to do some, some remodeling, um, that would really help out a lot.
4: Okay. Thank you so much.
2: You're very welcome, Mary. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Pit.
3: Hey there, we hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast. If you are, you know what would totally make our day is if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.
2: Absolutely, just go to moneypit.com slash review and let the world know how much you enjoy our home improvement tips and tricks. And you might even win a copy of our book.
3: Now we've got Martin on the line who wants to talk about fascia boards. That is an excellent design detail on the exterior.
4: What can we do for you? The fascia boarding fix- connects the ceiling of my porch roof to the overhang, has separated from the ceiling. And I want to know if I need to, do I need to rip that out and replace it? Or can I just seal it and maybe put a larger molding over
2: it? Well, if the fascia board is loosening up, then I would tell you to re-secure it. And that's actually not an unusual thing to happen. Uh, because the nails that hold that are usually going into the ends of the of the rafters behind it, they tend to expand and contract a lot. But what I would do is I would tell you to resecure it, but do it with screws, not with nails. If you use long screws like two and a half inch uh, case hardened drywall screws or or uh, wood trim screws, that will pull that fascia board back in tight and it'll be impossible for it to loosen up again. So don't think of it in terms of something covering it. Just put it back where it was, but use screws instead of nails, and it won't come out again. Okay?
4: And do I do that by going under the molding?
2: Well, you want to try to get that fascia board resecured in. So if that is going to require you to take off a piece of molding to get to it, then that's what you do. But you want to get to the original fascia and tighten it up.
4: Okay. I can do that then. Thank you very much.
2: All right, Martin. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
3: Now we've got Ben in Illinois on the line with the popcorn ceiling question. How can we help you today?
1: Got a probably 70s uh, ranch-style home.
2: 1970 was a very good year for popcorn.
1: Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was but they they had uh, this popcorn ceiling all the way in the TV room un, un- okay. uninterrupted that goes through the kitchen and uninterrupted interrupted flow goes all the way down the hallway.
2: Okay, so what happened? Did you have a leak or something?
1: Had uh, some uh, wind damage to some shingles, and it came down through the attic, and it stained uh, some of the popcorn ceiling in the TV room. Uh, I sensed to put a new roof on, but it, yeah, it stained it, and some of the popcorn stuff came off.
2: So is the popcorn physically damaged except for losing a few kernels, so to speak?
1: Well, there's still a little bit of staining on the stuff that didn't fall, but there's some sections that did.
2: You're going to have to repaint the popcorn ceiling, and it's kind of a pain-in-the-neck job, but it can be done. The key here is this. You want to use a very, very thick roller and one that's slit. The rollers uh, are about uh, three-quarters of an inch or even an inch thick. And they have a, a slice kind of in them every, every inch or so. And so it uses a lot of paint. And the key thing is you're going to want to use a primer first. Don't just do this with top coat because that leak stain will come right through. So you prime the popcorn ceiling first and then you paint it. Now, if you're missing a bunch of uh, area of popcorn and you want to touch that up, there are a number of companies that make popcorn repair products. One of which is called Homeax, Homax. H-O-M-A-X. And they have a spray where it's as easy as using an aerosol spray cam that you basically shoot up there, and it will replace the texture. So you can kind of fill in the area where some of that material has come off. And then, since you're painting, you paint the whole thing over again. Now, whether you go from end to end in the house, it's up to you, or whether you you know just kind of decide where you're going to stop painting, that's uh, your call. Maybe there's a natural place for that. Maybe there's not. But you have to paint it. That's the only way you're going to be able to... Uh, Get this to look normal again, and by the way, one final thing: when you when you do paint it with the top coat, make sure you use flat ceiling paint. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you got me motivated. Sounds good. Thank you so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit.
3: Now we've got Jeff in Iowa on the line, who's got an air conditioner that doesn't always smell so great. What's going on, Jeff?
1: I can't smell the wife. The wife can smell. Uh, okay, uh, we have a, uh, We
3: smell everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a, a smell emanating. From Somewhere I thought it was maybe the basement uh, drain was not uh, you know flowing like it should, and she seems to think that it, it she says it comes on the smell comes about when the air is turned on when the air comes out so okay maybe it's cleaning or am I on the right track?
2: Maybe so. Let's talk about some basics. If we want to get to the bottom of this, we could start with duct cleaning, just to kind of eliminate that as a possibility. The second thing we should talk about is what kind of filter do you have?
1: Uh, just your generic basic one from you know the hardware store.
2: Yeah, that's a problem. So what I want you to do is I want you to pick up a, a Filtrate filter, 3M Filtrate brand, and they sell one that uh, that has a char- activated charcoal built into it, and is specifically designed for eliminating odors. It's called the Filtrate Home Odor Reduction Filter, and it's got activated charcoal built in, and so that's designed specifically to get rid of the odors, and of course, it does a great job with dust and pollen and mold and that sort of thing.
1: Oh, uh, All right. Thanks. Well, I appreciate it.
3: Well, every summer, we hear about deck collapses where people are seriously injured, and when large groups gather on them, you know, like, say, for a weekend summer party, bad things can happen. That's why now is an excellent time to do a deck safety check.
2: That's right. And there are really only five major flaws that you need to focus on. These are the kinds of things that typically lead to serious deck failures including a complete collapse. So, let's start with this one, loose connections. If you notice, for example, that a railing is not secure, it's wobbly, it's got to be fixed. And just as important are missing connections. If you inspect your deck and you see it's not secured to the house or it's just nailed to the house rather than bolted or secured Huge cause of deck collapses. Typically, those decks will just sort of rotate and push right away from the house and come crashing down. So that's definitely an issue that we see time and time again. Next, corrosion, rusty fasteners. Fasteners have become so deteriorated they've fallen apart or fallen away got to be replaced. And then just general rot. It's a condition that weakens the wood because the fungus digests part of the wood, which gives the wood its strength and its stiffness. And finally, cracks. Look for cracks in all of the lumber that's visible. And a final note of caution is to also look for insect damage like termites, which might be visible as cracks, but could be a lot worse.
3: All right. So now you go ahead and check out the deck and you see that you've got a problem. What do you do next? Well, you can repair most of these issues. I mean, you have to look at all the different ways that these are attached to your home. So it could be something as simple as replacing or tightening a fastener. Maybe you need to replace a post to give it more structural integrity as to where its foundation point is in the ground. You know, there's so many different ways that these can fail. So when you kind of see what's going on, that really does give you a guideline of what direction you need to go in to correct it.
2: Yeah, and if it's something simple like a cracked deck board, I'll give you a trick of the trade on that. You know, that's not a big structural problem, obviously, but it's kind of an annoying one. All you need to do is pry that deck board up and turn it over because the backside that's not been exposed to sunlight is probably just as good as the day it was put down. Typically, the cracks do not go all the way through, and then all you got to do is, is touch it up in terms of staining, and you're good to go.
3: Erin in Ohio is on the line and needs some help with the playground. What can we do for you? We
4: have a swing set, um, swing set slash play set. It's made out of treated wood, and it's about 10 years old. The flat surfaces, they've turned black, and the wood is cracking. I'm wondering how I can best clean that up.
2: Well, the best thing to do is to use a wood cleaner, but let me ask you this. Is it pressure-treated, this wooden play set?
4: I believe so, Yes.
2: Because you know, pressure-treated lumber is sort of fallen out of favor as a uh, as a as a playset because of the chemicals that are in the pressure-treated lumber leaching out of the lumber, getting into the soil, and so on. So i just give you a bit of a warning on that. But if you want to clean this, uh, Flood makes a product called Flood Wood Cleaner that works really well. Basically, you wet the lumber down, you apply the wood cleaner, you let it set for 20 or 30 minutes. You don't let it dry. You may have to re-moisten it again. uh, And then you kind of scrub it clean. You can use a pressure washer after that to scrub it clean. It does a pretty good job of brightening up the finish, taking away the dirt and the grime and lifting up any of that old gray sort of oxidation that settles on the wood or the black oxidation that settles on the wood. You can find that at most home centers and hardware stores. Uh, and again, it's called Flood Wood Cleaner.
4: Okay. Once I have it clean, then am I better, do you think, to stain it or paint it?
2: No, you're better to stain it. What you want to do is use solid color stain as opposed to semi-transparent stain because it'll last a lot longer. Uh, the solid color tends to fade a little bit better and doesn't like peel like paint would.
4: And the same thing, like we have a swing, like a porch swing that I'd like to put on there as well. Same thing then with that to clean it up. It's been outside for some time.
2: Yes. If it's if it's natural wood, that's a good product to clean it up with. And the same advice applies to the porch swing. Now, is that also made out of pressure-treated lumber, or is that something different?
4: You know, it's about the same age. I believe it is.
2: All right. So again, use the solid color stain.
4: Okay. Very good. Thank you.
2: You're welcome, Aaron. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money PIT.
0: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too?
3: Richard, in California, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today?
0: Oh, my question is, well, what happened is I had an
1: under-the-sink water filter burst, flooded my house. And I've had two people say that one person said that I need to replace all the drywall that got wet. Another person says uh, that's fine, the drywall is fine. My question is, is what do I need to do? What is the proper thing to do? Well,
3: Richard, what does the drywall look like? I mean, did it dry out or does it look all like spongy and gross. Uh, it
2: looked like it just dried out. Right. If it dried out, then there wasn't enough water to deform it. There's no reason to replace it. I mean, sometimes when you get a bad leak, and especially with a ceiling leak, water will sit above a drywall and it will cause it to kind of swell and buckle downward. And when it deforms like that, there's no fix for it. You have to cut it out and replace it. But if it just got wet because of the leak and then it dried out and it's still flat... Then I wouldn't worry about it. You may have, you know, if there's any uh, joints in the drywall that have to that have separated, have to be retaped or repaired. Certainly, you, know, you could do all of that. Uh, but otherwise, I think you're you're fine just the way it is. Now, I would recommend that you prime it first with a solvent-based primer or an oil-based primer to make sure that you've sealed in any staining. Well, once you do that, I think that you're pretty much good to go and you're done. I don't see a reason to replace it.
1: It's a lot of work.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, that's what we try to do, Rich. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
3: All right. Now we're going to Mel in Arkansas who's got a question about a
4: shower. What can we do for you today? Well, we need to change a tub into a shower. And it is for a handicapped person that uses a shower chair. And everything that we are finding so far is a fiberglass type stuff that is not rated for the person's weight that's going to have to be using it. And they use a shower chair. Any suggestions on how to stabilize it so that it's not going to break through when the shower chair goes in it?
2: You're, You're looking at zero threshold showers? They basically are flush with the floor.
4: Not necessarily. It doesn't have to be the zero threshold, but it needs to be a shower, not a tub.
2: Right. Okay. So when you put in a, a fiberglass shower pan, um, you're right. There's sometimes there's flex underneath of it, but there's an easy trick of the trade to deal with that, and that is that you can mix up a, a concrete mix or a cement mix or mortar mix. And basically, you put it underneath the pan while it's wet, and then you press the pan down into it. And what that does is it takes out all the space between the pan itself and the floor. It provides a rock-solid base to that fiberglass uh, shower stall. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, Millen. good luck with that project.
3: Well, if you're taking on painting around your house, it can be hard to tell exactly how much paint you're going to need, and then of course you might end up with some extra paint, and sometimes a lot of extra paint. And that that's not always a bad thing since when you have the extra paint, it can be great for touch-ups, you know, maybe an additional project, maybe another room. But now, this only works if you keep it from drying out or going bad.
2: Right, which happens a lot. Two things that cause paint to go bad, exposure to air, will affect the consistency of the paint and eventually dry it out. And secondly, microorganisms actually can get in the paint and cause bacterial growth and a very rancid smell. Have you ever opened up an old can of paint and just smells awful? That's the bacteria. Now, if a paint can is actually bulging, it means it's probably definitely going bad. And if you take a whiff after you open it and you've got that sour or rotten egg smell, the paint may have mold. And if it seems okay, though, look for a thick film on the surface of the paint or paint that doesn't mix well or has any chunks of dried out paint in it. I have, from time to time, found that layer of thick film and very, very carefully lifted it, being careful not to break it and taking it out of the paint can and being able to use what's left. So if you don't break it up, it's not going to you know get chunky on your walls or whatever you're painting. You can definitely pull it out.
3: All right, so what do you do? Once your paint project is finished, how should you be storing leftover paint? Well, first of all, you need to make sure that you're putting it in an airtight container, either the original can or a clean jar or a container with a secure lid. And carefully clean the rim and then firmly close the lid to seal it as well as possible. Now, here's another trick that can help. Since closing up the paint can never gives you as good of a seal as when that can is brand new, get in the habit of storing the paint can upside down on your shelf It's not going to leak and any tiny openings letting air in will be sealed off by the paint that's left in the can.
2: Yeah, the paint does the sealing for you that way. Now, as for storage, it's best to store the paint at room temperature in a dry place that's out of direct sunlight or extreme hot or cold temperatures. So like a basement, if you have one, is perfect or a closet rather than an attic or a shed. And if you do that, chances are the next time you need to open that paint for a project, it will be in almost perfect condition.
3: Gary in Pennsylvania, unfortunately, had a flood and needs some help picking up the pieces. What can we do for you? Uh,
1: we had a flood here, a flash flood. The uh, rain came down uh, in eight hours, about seven to ten inches. It flooded our basement with about a foot of water. And um, I'm interested in finding out from you folks how uh, we can get the... Uh, get back to normal as far as the basement's concerned. It smells. Uh, We did manage to get the sump pump going and get the water out of the basement. But uh, it was, like I said, it was a foot around the furniture and everything. And uh, how can I manage to get things back to where they were before the flood?
2: All right. So when you have a flood situation like that, you know, of course, that's human nature that you want everything back just as the way it was as soon as possible. But From a practical standpoint, it doesn't always work that way. You know, here at the Jersey Shore, we uh, faced one of the worst hurricanes in in history with Hurricane Sandy. And that was the natural reaction. Everyone wanted to get back. And we always say, no, you can't get back that quickly um, because you're going to make some mistakes along the way. So what you want to do first is you want to, as you've already done, get rid of the water. Secondly, you want to prevent further damage by removing all of the wet materials. So wet carpet has to be tossed out if the if the basement is finished. Does it have drywall down there? Those wall those drywall sections have to be cut out to above the flood line. If there's insulation in the walls, that has to be pulled out. If you have furniture that's water damaged, you may have an option of saving some of that. You can get it upstairs and start to dry it out and kind of make a decision uh, as you go. But you know, frankly, a lot of that should be covered by insurance, so I, I wouldn't maybe try too hard to save it. But get all of that material out of there. Uh, now you said it was a flash flood and it. Flooded the basement quickly. Anytime you have water infiltration that's consistent with rainfall... It can always be reduced, if not eliminated, by making sure that your drainage conditions outside are proper and that you have gutters, they're clean, they're extended from the house four to six feet, not just a few inches like normal gutters are, and that the soil slopes away. So those sorts of things can prevent further water infiltration. And then after it's um, all torn out, then you're going to want to spray those with that basement floor and the walls down with a solution of bleach and water, about 10 to 20% bleach with water that will kill any mold spores that are left behind then get some fans down there dry that all out and then once it's dry then you can think about putting it back together and next time i would not put carpet on the basement floor because um, that's a breeding factory for for mold mildew and uh, dust mites as well okay sounds like a winner to me i certainly appreciate it you're welcome gary thanks so much for calling us at 888 money pit
3: susan in alaska's got a fireplace issue what's going
4: on the heart is covered with tile and I would like to remove it and just paint the brick underneath. So how difficult would that be for me to do?
2: Hey, Susan. Well, I'll tell you, you know, if you remove that tile, you're probably going to have some adhesive and some other kinds of goo, we will call it, on the brick itself. So I'd first be concerned about starting with a clean brick surface. Uh, second to that, even if you do start with a clean brick surface, just remember tile is easier to clean than brick, which might be why it was tiled in the first place. And once you paint brick, you're kind of committed. You have to repaint it from time to time um, as well. Now, in terms of difficulty, the first step would be getting that old tile off. And that can be a challenge, especially given you know how sticky and how solid a lot of the adhesives that would have been used. I mean, a mastic, a tile mastic is not going to give the tile up quickly uh, from the brick surface itself. But the other thing that comes to mind is that you could actually paint over the tile if you buy the right kinds of paint. There are paints, and I would go to perhaps a Sherwin-Williams store for this or a Benjamin Moore uh, dealer for this, and you're looking for special types of primer. They're called high-bond primers or high-adhesion primers uh, that are designed to help paint stick to a shiny surface-like tile. If you put that on as the first coat, uh, then you could put a regular paint on as the second coat, uh, and perhaps that might be the easiest way to get the effect that, uh, that you're looking to achieve.
3: Well, window screens, they're about as low-tech as it gets, but they do play a big role in improving your home comfort during these milder months, and they let you open your windows to let fresh air into your home while keeping all those pesky bugs and insects out.
2: Now, most of us don't pay much attention to our window screens until they fail or begin to look worn and tattered. And if that sounds like your house, we've got some ideas that can help. Now, first, you should note that window screens have changed a lot since we were kids. I remember them always being made of very stiff, strong metal mesh. But today, most of the stock window screens are soft and fiberglass. So let's start right there.
3: Yeah, so fiberglass screens, they come in a few different sort of weights, I guess. Fine, standard, heavy-duty, and these grades all have a different purpose. So first off, the fine fiberglass screening is best to use if all you're really trying to do is keep out those small insects. Standard fiberglass screen is the most common and least expensive screen type, and that's why it's found in most homes around the U.S., It's reasonably durable for the cost, but it can break down quickly from UV rays when the windows are in full sun, so say like the south side of your home. And then lastly, we've got heavy-duty fiberglass screening, and that's typically used in larger windows where the screen needs to be strong or needs to cover a much larger opening.
2: Now, the one thing to note about fiberglass screens is that they pop out easily, which is not what used to happen with the old metal screens. So you have to be super careful with second-floor windows around kids and pets because they can push through those screens and fall pretty easily. Now, speaking of pets, if you've got pets that scratch at your screens or you've got young kids that can inadvertently be kind of rough on screens, pet screening is a great choice. Now, pet screening is made of a very heavy-duty vinyl-coated polyester, and it's heavier and stronger than regular screening material. Now, we use this on our full-height a screen door back last year because we'd always find that the other screening would work its way loose in the track. But once we put the PET screening on, it just became super sturdy.
3: Yeah. And there's also something else that's super new and it's called high visibility screening. Now this is made with a very, very fine fiber and it's nearly invisible. It's a lot more expensive, but it's worth it for the windows in your home that look out onto your favorite views. I mean, because think about it. When we look out the window, we're first looking at the screen. So it's such an interesting thing that we're trying to like look past it, or pretend it's not there. So there's really some great options to get that effect for you.
2: Yeah, lots of options to consider. If your screens are ready for replacement, now's the time to replace them and choose the option that's best for you.
3: Heading out to Delaware, where Harry's dealing with a dirty kitchen floor, tell us about what you see.
1: Over the years, it's become quite dingy, and you're rough looking I wonder if you have any suggestions or recommendations on a product to bring it back, brighten it up again.
2: So, Harry, with a 20-year-old floor... I don't think you're going to be, like, sprucing it up to the point where you're feeling like you've achieved what you want. I mean, that floor doesn't owe you a dime, buddy. It lasted all those years, and I think it's time for an update. The good news is that there's plenty of floors available now that weren't in existence 20 years ago that are great for kitchens. A whole bunch of different products that are out there for wet locations, places that are really durable. You can choose from a laminate floor that have uh, there's a product called laminate. There's an aqua seal product from LL Flooring where the laminate boards seal together and won't let water come through. You can use an, an engineered vinyl plank. You can use an engineered floor, if you like real hardwood, or you can use a stone hybrid product. These are all products that are really, really tough and great for a kitchen space. And you know what? The installation's gotten a lot easier, especially with those vinyl products. They just snap together and they float on top of what's there. So all you have to deal with is really the transition to whatever room is adjacent to that. Uh, and maybe a little trim around the side, and that's it. And you're good to go. So I think that's really the best solution now. I don't think we're going to be able to give you any other grand ideas for a 20-year-old floor that's going to be able to bring it back.
3: Kelly wrote into Team Money Pit saying, My house has a concrete walk to the front door with a slight bump where one section has settled. The bump is two inches at most, and sometimes people miss knowing it's there and trip. I know I should have done something about it long before now, but what? Can I paint it, light it, or even add some sort of cement to turn it into a gentle slope?
2: Well, certainly you could paint it and add light to it, but I don't think that's going to solve your problem because when you have an uneven sidewalk, and two inches is definitely uneven, you've basically got yourself a tripping hazard, Kelly. So you need to change that, and the best way to do that is to add additional concrete to level it out, make the slope more gentle, as you say. But you really can't just add concrete because what happens if you put new concrete on old concrete, guess what? It doesn't stick. It will separate, it will spall, it will crack, and it will just become a real eyesore. Fortunately, there are products that are designed for that type of structural repair. They're typically modified polymers. I know crete makes a good one for structural repair. And when you use them, they are specifically designed to stick to the old concrete surfaces. So this way, you can get that gentle slope. And in fact, there is another quick product called Recap, which is also good for just doing sort of a coating over everything and making it look like fresh concrete. So if you do this right, you're going to end up with a walk that looks like a brand-new sidewalk, and it will no longer have that nasty trip hazard, which you really need to address.
3: Yeah, and you're not going to want to address it with the big bright yellow paint line. Definitely fix it, right? (laughs) All right, now we've got one from Alyssa who says, I have a 1790s brick house with a gable roof flanked on each side by two sets of chimneys. The attic is unfinished and has no ventilation. Two questions. I think I'm going to add a window screen vent. If so, should I leave the window vents open in the winter, or should I remove and reinstall them when it warms up again in spring? And the other is I'm thinking of replacing my roof in the near future, and I'm wondering if I should have a ridge vent installed at the time. Does it ever make sense not to add one?
2: Huh, good question. both good questions. Okay, so first of all, when you say window screen vents, I'm I'm thinking, I'm envisioning in my mind that you're talking about replacing like a gable vent at the end wall of the attic space with a window screen type vent. So however you're planning on doing that, in terms of whether you leave it open in the winter, yes, you leave ventilation open in a traditional vented attic all year long. You don't close it and open it. But in terms of replacing the roof in the near future, It does make sense to install a ridge vent. I don't see a reason not to install a ridge vent. The most effective ventilation system is when you have a continuous ridge vent down the peak of your roof, and then you have soffit vents at the overhangs. And what happens is air will enter in the soffit. It will ride up under the roof sheathing, and exit at that ridge vent. And as it does that, it takes out moisture in the winter, and it also takes out heat in the summer and all in, it's a much more effective way to vent your attic than even an attic fan, which we recommend against because all that does is drive up your cooling costs because what happens is it will actually reach into your house, not just stop at the attic, but it will reach down into your conditioned living space and pull some of that air conditioned air and basically waste it. So ridge and soft vent is definitely the way to go.
3: All right, Alyssa, good luck with that.
2: You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. We hope you're enjoying a beautiful summer weekend in your part of the country. If you've got questions now, or you come up with questions later, really anytime, you can reach out to us at moneypit.com/slash ask. Just click the blue microphone button for the fastest possible response. But for now, that's all the time we have. I'm Tom Kreitler. And
3: I'm Leslie Segretti.
2: Remember, you can do it yourself.
3: But you don't have to do it alone.
1: in the body Pit.